the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Thursday edition of the Georgine Rice Show, the 22nd of August already. It'll be Christmas before we know it. James Blind is producing today's program. Clark Hilton is engineering. Today we're going to talk with Mary Graybar. She is the author of Debunking Howard Zinn, Exposing the Fake History that Turned a Generation Against America. Now you may not know the name Howard Zinn, but he has been has had um significant influence in our culture, and we're going to explain who he is and how that influence has um uh, been wielded, if you will, and that's coming up later this hour. We're also going to talk with Pastor Victor Alvarez. Um, he's a local pastor. He's been here in the Portland area for about 20 years and has had a vision for the city. And we're going to talk about Conquest 2019. The theme is Second Corinthians 3.18, glory to glory, from glory to glory. It's the largest Christian, multi-ethnic, bilingual event in the Pacific Northwest. We're going to talk about it. That's coming up on Saturday, September 7th. There are some pre-events now, but uh, it's going to be held at the Oregon Convention Center. You can learn more about it at conquest2019.org. And I would encourage you uh, to do that. You can see the lineup of speakers and some of the events and uh, the schedule and everything. It's a one-day event, but it's going to be packed full of opportunity for worship and prayer and uh, reaching out into our community. That's Conquest 2019, From Glory to Glory, coming up on September 7th. We'll talk with Pastor uh, Alvarez later this hour. First, taking a look at some of the headlines, which makes an event like Conquest 2019 all the more needful. Uh, China is the uh, Pentagon's number one priority, and the United States is watching Beijing very carefully in order to safeguard America. That's according to Defense Secretary Mark Esper, speaking in his first interview since he was confirmed as Pentagon chief in July. Esper said that national security correspondent Jennifer, or speaking to her, Jennifer Griffin, that uh, China has engaged in the greatest theft of intellectual property in human history and is also expanding its military to push the United States out of the Indo-Pacific theater. Some very tr- troubling elements in uh, that conversation about their capacity to do so. Also, the Congressional Budget Office released a grim update uh, Wednesday to its economic outlook for the decade, predicting average national deficits of $1.2 trillion every year through 2029, due to, in large part, uh, recent budget and border security bills. The CBO report noted that as one of many repercussions from free spending uh, policies, federal debt held by the public is projected to reach rare heights, almost equaling the nation's gross domestic product. Its highest level since just after World War II, the report says, the GDP itself is also expected to see a slowdown in growth in the coming years. Washington Governor Jay Inslee announced on Wednesday night that he's withdrawing from the 2020 presidential race. As the Democrat said, it's becoming clear he didn't have a shot at winning the party's nomination. The environmental activists had urged the Democratic National Committee to host a debate centered exclusively on climate change, but failed to meet polling thresholds needed to participate. Inslee 
revealed his decision on MSNBC, saying it's become clear that he won't win. He has uh, kept open the option of running for a third term as governor, but didn't immediately say what his next step will be. Reportedly, Inslee will uh, announce a run for a third term. Well, it was expected sometime today. I haven't heard that yet. We'll see whether or not that will be the case. A Democratic North Carolina Governor Roy Cooper on Wednesday vetoed a proposal that would have made it mandatory for state and local law enforcement to comply with detainer requests from U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, or ICE. Republicans blasted Cooper and said he is favoring the interests of illegal immigrants over basic public safety. Under the plan, sheriff's offices and other law enforcement departments would uh, have been required to hold detainees who are illegal immigrants until ICE personnel could come retrieve them. Those who did not honor their requests would have been subject to dismissal. HBO real-time host Bill Maher ridiculed Representative Rashida Tlaib on Wednesday, suggesting the freshman congresswoman was childlike after she called for a boycott of his TV show. Some people have one move only, boycott, cancel, make go away. Mayor tweeted, apparently echoing phrases toddlers use, but here's the thing. The House voted 318 to 17 to condemn the BDS movement, including 93% of Democrats. Does Tlaib want to boycott 93% of her own party? Mars' tweet appeared to refer to a July vote in which the House overwhelmingly approved a measure approving, or rather opposing, the boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement against Israel. Almost the 17, or rather among the 17, who opposed the resolution were Representatives Tlaib and Ilhan Omar, both of whom Israel blocked from entering the country due to their positions on BDS. Amid controversy, Mar fiercely criticized the BDS movement on Friday. BDS, uh, well, I'm just going to leave it at that. He criticized the movement. I can't quote him and keep the license of the station. According to Market Watch, turns out hiring wasn't nearly as strong in 2018 and 2019 as the government initially reported by about a half million jobs. The economy had about 501,000 fewer jobs as of March of 2019 than the Bureau of Labor Statistics initially calculated in its survey of business establishments. That's the largest revision since the waning stages of the Great Recession in 2009. The average 223,000 monthly increase in employment in 2018, the strongest in three years, could be trimmed to 180,000 to 185,000, economists estimate. Additionally, the Congressional Budget Office has warned that President Trump's tariffs on China will hurt U.S. GDP and said the comprehensive budget deal the president signed in August will drive up the federal deficit to higher levels than expected. Nevertheless, the Associated Press says a day after considering cutting taxes to promote economic growth, the president changed course and said he would abandon the idea because the nation already had a strong economy. Speaking of uh, the deficit spending, Reuters uh, reports presidential hopeful Bernie Sanders unveiled a climate change strategy today that would mobilize $16.3 trillion to help the U.S. generate 100 percent of its electricity from renewable energy by 2030 and achieve full decarbonization by 2050. The scheme pledges to create 20 million jobs in the process, Reuters adds. Sanders claims the climate crisis is the single greatest challenge facing our country. Anyway, a U.S. appeals court in Denver said electoral college members can vote for the presidential candidate of their choice and aren't bound by the popular vote in their states. The 10th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals ruled Tuesday that the Colorado Secretary of State violated the Constitution in 2016 when he removed an elector and nullified his vote when the elector refused to cast his ballot for Democrat Hillary Clinton, who won the popular vote. It was not immediately clear what effect the ruling might have on the electoral college system. 
According to National Review, President Trump on Wednesday signed an executive order directing the Department of Education to cancel all federal student loan debt for seriously disabled veterans. Uh, The president said that veterans who have made such enormous sacrifices for our country should not be asked to pay any more. The debt of these disabled veterans will be entirely erased. It will be gone. They can sleep well tonight. The plan was already in place, but most disabled veterans did not bother to apply because it was so uh, tedious uh, and there was so much required to take advantage of the program. This would uh, require far less in order for them to qualify. And Trump this week invade Antifa, in my opinion, is a terrorist organization. As such, the president is considering designating masked Antifa militants as a terrorist organization because of the group's violent actions across the country. It was reported that a designation as a terrorist organization would mean that the federal government would provide federal and local law enforcement with additional resources as needed to address uh, and deal with Antifa. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in just a few moments. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. 20 minutes after 4 o'clock, you're listening to the Georgine Rice Show, brought to you in part today by Zero Res. Coming up later this hour, we'll talk with Mary Graybar. She is the author of Debunking Howard Zinn, Exposing the Fake History That Turned a Generation Against America. Mary Graybar is a resident fellow at the Alexander Hamilton Institute for the Study of Western Civilization. She's the founder of the Dissident Professor Education Project. Uh, she taught at the college level for 20 years, most recently at Emory University. She, her work has been uh, published in the Federalist, Town Hall, Front Page, and uh, many, many other sources. And again, she's the author of um, Debunking Howard Zinn, Exposing the Fake History That Turned a Generation Against America. On this day in history in 1902, by the way, Theodore Roosevelt becomes the first U.S. president to ride in a car. On this day in history, 1787, inventor John Fitch He demonstrates his steamboat on the Delaware River to delegates from the Constitutional Convention in Philadelphia. On this day in 1851, the schooner America outraces more than a dozen British vessels off the English coast to win a trophy that came to be known as the America's Cup. And on this day in 1864, the International Committee of the Red Cross is founded in Geneva, Switzerland. Finally, in 2012, a little closer to home, Russia and uh, Vanuatu joined the World Trade Organization. I actually just wanted to say that one so I could say Vanuatu. Now I've said it twice. As I mentioned, Washington Governor Jay Inslee announced uh, last night that he's withdrawing from the 2020 presidential race. As the Democrats said, it's become clear he didn't have the shot to winning uh, uh, at winning the primary. The environmental activist had urged the Democratic National Committee to host a debate centered exclusively on ch- climate change, only to fail to qualify to meet the polling thresholds necessary to attend the party's upcoming regularly scheduled debate, as well as a CNN town hall dedicated to global warming. He revealed his decision on MSNBC. Uh, he is 68. He became the third Democrat to end his presidential bid after U.S. Representative Eric Swalwell of California pulled out of the primary last month, followed by former Colorado Governor John Hickenlooper last week. The governor's announcement came hours after he released his six policy proposals on climate change, and it also came hours after he was scheduled to speak at a presidential forum hosted by the Iowa Federation of Labor. Inslee canceled his appearance uh, Wednesday morning. Morning, blaming uh, flight cancellations on Wednesday, um, 
well, I'll just leave it at that. So he is not going to be on that lineup. So the numbers are at least coming down, making it a little easier for Democrats to select ultimately their nominee. Democrat 2020 hopeful Senator Bernie Sanders today released his plan for a Green New Deal, promising that the multi-trillion dollar plan to radically overhaul the economy and combat climate change will pay for itself over the next 15 years. As president, Bernie Sanders will launch the decade of the Green New Deal, a 10-year nationwide mobilization centered around justice and equality, during which climate change will be factored into virtually every area of policy, from immigration to trade to foreign policy and beyond, his campaign said in a press release. The Vermont senator has long been an advocate for the Green New Deal, but only this year has it become a central policy for many of those seeking the Democratic nomination for president. This year, it was given a big push in Congress when Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Senator Ed Markey uh, introduced a formal resolution on it, which uh, stalled in the Senate but drew support from a number of 2020 hopefuls. The death of two more U.S. military personnel in Afghanistan on Wednesday brings to 14 the number of Americans killed in combat there this year. The highest annual combat death toll since 2014 and with more than four months of the year yet to run. The Pentagon is yet to release details of the deaths reported uh, by the NATO-led coalition in Afghanistan, withholding that information until families of the fallen are notified. The 14 combat deaths this year compares to 13 in 2018, 11 in 2017, 9 in 2016, and 11 in 2015. Each distinct individuals there to defend their country. 40 U.S. personnel were killed in combat in Afghanistan in 2014. Since the start of Operation Freedom's Sentinel, which succeeded um, uh, Operation Enduring Freedom in January of 2015, a total of 77 U.S. personnel have died, 57 of them in combat circumstances. And since Operation Enduring Freedom began in October of 2001, 2,400 U.S. personnel have been killed in the conflict, 1,904 of them in combat, according to a tally of official data. The latest deaths come amid continuing talks between U.S. envoys and the Taliban terrorist group, amid uh, rather aimed at finding a negotiated settlement to America's longest war. And the Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps um, ground forces kicked off a massive set of war drills on Thursday as the country unveiled its own homemade version of Russia's advanced S-300 missile defense system and yet another showing of Tehran's growing readiness for a possible war. Iranian military leaders said the war games will mix the actual fighting of the IRGC forces Uh, seeking to cleanse what they described as anti-revolutionary terrorist groups from along the country's borders. The operations follow an attack on IRGC units in July that killed one and injured one other. The day is coming, by the way, when we will study and practice war no more. Just thought I'd mention it. Uh, The drill is a real one because the battlefield enemy and the firefighters rather are real, said the brigadier general there, commander of the IRGC's ground forces. He was quoted as telling the country's state-controlled press some terrorists might be hiding at the border areas and they will be targeted during the drills. Well, a large uh, white right-wing rally, actually either one applies, and counter-demonstrators on Saturday in downtown Portland cost retailers and restaurants an estimated $3 million in lost revenue. That's according to the city's largest business group. That price tag is only likely to grow, the Portland Business Alliance said Wednesday, as employers continue to tally up losses from a day marked by hours of disruption, but limited property damage and clashes between political opponents. 
The business group said it didn't have a detailed breakdown of the cost estimates, which were generally by the city's downtown retail council. A snapshot of the economic toll emerged as Mayor Ted Wheeler and other civic leaders called on residents to come to downtown this Saturday to support the area's businesses and workers. The mayor announced there will be free parking on city streets west and east of the Willamette River, as well as all smart park garages. Visitors will also have um, not have to pay to use the Portland streetcar or city's bike share program. Some businesses also plan to offer discounts and other perks, which the Travel Portland website is tracking. We're reclaiming our space from disruption, from the potential of chaos, the mayor said during a press conference at Director Park. Let's show some love for our community. Well, there's a lot that could be said in response to that. I think there's no lack of love for the community, but there is growing concern about whether or not people can feel secure in our community uh, when these events take place. Well, the Portland Police Bureau drew on local, state and federal law enforcement agencies to provide 700 officers for the day. More than one cop, which I'm not sure is a, the right word to use. I don't know if that's um, insulting or not. One police officer for every two of the estimated 1,200 protest participants. So they made an effort, at least numerically. Some of downtown's largest retailers, including Starbucks, Nordstrom's, Portland Apple Store, closed in anticipation of the right-left groups converging on the waterfront. Restaurants and local merchants from Saturday market vendors to Salt and Straw's Whizbang Bar also shuttered as police and city officials warned of prospective violence. Officials, meanwhile, encouraged people to avoid downtown entirely. Shop, Eat, Play, it's the name of the campaign. It aims to help downtown Portland business um, hurt uh, during the last weekend protest recover. Now, there's a lot more that we can do to uh, help them recover and uh, not have to face that kind of loss in the future. But again, that's the subject for another day. The um, face-off between the uh, two groups, the counter-protesters and the protesters, including masked anti-fascist activities, uh, was relatively uneventful. In fact, the talk was far greater than what actually happened. The day's most contentious moment unfolded after the Proud Boys and their supporters mostly left after rallying about 90 minutes. They marched across the closed Hawthorne Bridge while hundreds of counter-protesters remained downtown. Over the next five hours, droves of left-leaning demonstrators often wandered into uh, the street, sometimes blocking traffic, chanting, beating drums. Others confronted riot police or the stray right-wing activists who waded into the fray. Uh, there were a few minor skirmishes, some smashed windows and so, so on. According to police, 12 of the 13 arrests uh, made during the demonstrations came while uh, bands of counter-protesters roved the city streets. And the Virginia Real Estate Board accused a Christian realtor of violating fair housing laws because she included a Bible verse on her website and wrote religious phrases like Jesus loves you on her email signature. The American Center for Law and Justice has filed a lawsuit on behalf of Hadassah Carter, alleging the Virginia Real Estate Board violated her First Amendment rights. Uh, They say she has been harassed, targeted and discriminated against um, because of her religious beliefs. In my forthcoming book, Culture Jihad, How to Stop the Left from Killing a Nation, um, uh, Todd Starnes writes about this very thing. No one should have to justify their first speech or their religion or their regulatory body. That's what Jay Sekulow says. To threaten someone's job because they express their faith makes free speech unfree, and we must fight these assaults on religious liberty aggressively whenever they arise. In 2017, the state agency filed its initial complaint against Carter, alleging her email signature violated Virginia's Fair Housing Act. 
Uh, The complaint absurdly stated that because these realtors used religious speech, they could make someone feel discriminated against, even if they weren't being discriminated against. Her signature line includes the phrase or phrases like for faith and freedom, Jesus loves you and with God, all things are possible. Under the personal statement section on her business website, she wrote, for God so loved the world that he gave, and you know the rest of John 3.16, and, uh, and, and concluded that with, I am available to help you when you need me. Well, we'll continue to follow this case and see what the ACLJ is able uh, to do. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Up next, we're going to talk with Mary Graybar. She is the author of Debunking Howard Zinn, Exposing the Fake History that Turned a Generation, I should say Generations, Against America. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back 35 minutes after 4 o'clock. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I have so looked forward to the conversation I'm about to have with my next guest, uh, Mary Graybar. She's the author of Debunking Howard Zen, Exposing the Fake History that Turned a Generation Against America. Well, Marx's talking points are dominating American education, brainwashing students to believe American history is nothing more than a litany of oppression, slavery, and exploitation. As an African-American, I understand our history. I know it. My family was impacted by it, but I don't by this stuff. How has this happened? Since 1980, socialist Howard Zinn's A People's History of the United States has dominated the American education system as the textbook of choice for leftist teachers across the country, turning young students against America and into foot soldiers for a progressive revolution. If you want to know where much of what we're seeing now has come from. Well, in the book Debunking Howard Zinn, she exposed, or rather exposing the fake history that turned a generation against America. My guest demolishes his popular history, a history pushed by Hollywood celebrities, defended by university professors who know better, and assigned in high school and college classrooms. There's even a children's version. She reveals uh, Zinn's bag of dishonest rhetorical tricks, his slavish reliance on partisan history, explicit rejection of historical balance, a selective quotation of sources to convey the exact opposite message of what their author intended. Well, Mary Graybar is a resident fellow at the Alexander Hamilton Institute for the Study of Western Civilization and the founder of the Dissident Professor uh, Prof Education Project. She taught at the college level for 20 years, most recently at Emory University, and her work has been published by The Federalist, Town Hall, Front Page Magazine, City Journal, and many, many others. She joins us today to debunk Howard Zinn. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, you're welcome. My pleasure. Really appreciate it. I want to begin by just asking, who is Howard Zinn? Because while in academic circles he's well-known, in education circles where his uh, book is is pushed and a children's version is now widely available, most people may have, uh, the book came out in, what, 1980? Most people have no idea who Howard Zinn is, although they have seen his influence. Yeah, well, Howard Zinn died in 2010. He was born in 1922. Um, he was a, a member of the Communist Party, actually. Uh, we're 99% certain of that. But he promoted a, a communist message in his book and in his other writings and spoke favorably about communism. Um, he taught at Spelman College from 1956 to 1963, uh, which then really did adhere to its Christian principles. Um, and then uh, was fired from there, uh, incidentally, by the first um, black president of the college and the first male president of the college for insubordination. Um, he led the students um, on these protests that were harmful to them and 
um, inspired them to uh, rebel against the administration and against going to chapel and so forth. And uh, But he was soon landed on his feet, and he was at Boston University where he taught until he retired in 1988. And um, he was asked to write a people's history of the United States in the late 1970s. And basically, uh, as you reviewed, he uh, wildly distorted the history, threw together um, you know, some, you know, dubious sources and, and cobbled together this book, which is, uh, which has exceeded all records for a history book of its type in terms of sales and influence. It really is quite remarkable how that has happened. You write in the, uh, I think it's in the preface of the book, about the context in which this book emerged. There were a number of historians who were discredited at that time as his book was about to come out, and somehow his emerged and flourished uh, when a number of historians were discredited, even though he's not a great historian, uh, and, and even critics who would agree with some of his um, uh, priorities had to say that this is not a, a, a good work of history. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, there's Michael Kazin, uh, you know, well-known leftist, and uh, when he reviewed the book, he called it uh, more appropriate to a conspiracy monger's website <laughs> than to a history book. Um, yeah, so it, it was uh, criticized on the left as well. I mean, by any standard measure of history writing, um, what's in a people's history is uh, fraudulent. It's, um, you know, it's not backed up by statistics. It, uh, you know, uh, promotes uh, rumors, a conspiracy theory. Uh, he uh, takes quotations out of context. He makes speakers say the opposite of what they really did say. And up until now, no one has really gone through his book and systematically checked it against uh, his sources or what other historians have said. And I, I did check with historians both on the right and on the left. And I went through his own papers at New York University. I went to the Martin Luther King Center. I went to the Library of Congress and Emory University and did research and, um, and discovered that this uh, book is a fraudulent piece of history. And yet, deliberately so. Deliberately yes. so. <laughs> and yet, it is it's a very popular book. And in the academy, it's, it's uh, embraced in colleges and universities all across uh, the country. Uh, the, the young people who were raised on this book are now lawmakers. Uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is one example running on socialist platforms. Um, how did his teachings influence this? Um, well, you know, when you hear something like uh, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez calling uh, the detention centers, you know, of, of the people who are trying to come into the country concentration camps, that's exactly what Howard Zinn did in a people's history. Uh, so, you know, we interned the uh, Japanese Americans during World War II. That was widely known, you know, even before um, the order was given. Um, and that's been criticized. Uh, it was criticized, actually, by J. Edgar Hoover and um, George Schuyler, a prominent African-American journalist at the time, a conservative, um, also by uh, Senator Robert Taft. So there is a debate about, you know, whether or not that should have been done uh, within the context mm -hmm. of war and what the fears were. Um, but by no stretch of the imagination could those be called concentration camps. Uh, and, you know, Howard then lied about the information. 
uh, you know, uh, I mentioned that uh, Kazin called his book, uh, you know, a conspiracy theory. Well, Howard Zinn presents um, avid, his evidence is that um, there was an article in late 1945 uh, at the end of the war that exposed these uh, so-called concentration camps. Well, that's patently false. <laughs> there were daily newspaper articles about, um, you know, sort of the uh, the police going after the Japanese as well as German Americans and Italian Americans, you know, who were suspect. Uh, there are daily reports. There was a, a film um, narrated by Milton Eisenhower shown in movie theaters. Uh, there was actually uh, an article in the 1942 Harper's Magazine, the same magazine that he cites, that describes life in uh, these camps. Um, you know, it wasn't uh, luxurious, but they were clean. The food was good. There was plenty of it. Uh, there was a, a foreign legion uh, station in, in the one he went to. Uh, people had gardens. Their children played baseball. So um, it, it's uh, just, uh, it's obscene to um, claim that those camps were concentration camps. And as people have rightfully said about Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's statement, um, you know, and, and one of the things I point out also is this has such an influence on millennials, uh, you know, the majority of whom now approve of socialism or communism over capitalism, uh, there is a woman who was elected to the Oklahoma City Council, and instead of placing her hand on a Bible, she placed it on a people's history of the United States. Hmm, written by Howard Zinn. Now, how did he yeah. his history become so popular? You, in the introduction, uh, remind us that in Goodwill Hunting, there is a reference, several references made there, and that um, Hollywood has helped to popularize all of this. But trace for us how his history became so popular. Well, the ground had been set. Uh, so a lot of the people, uh, you know, the 1960s generation, the Vietnam protesters, they went into education. Uh, and there have been studies done of the percentage of them, and it's disproportionately high. And so they uh, were already writing uh, these uh, ideological left-wing histories. Um, and uh, they, you know, a, a prominent historian, Oscar Hamblin, had, uh, you know, criticized them. Other historians had criticized them. Well, Howard then took what they wrote and just ran with it. <laughs> he made it, you know, even uh, worse. He magnified what they were saying, and he put it together in this book. But he also added this uh, flair. He had this uh, ability to write and um, to touch people's emotions. He did it illegitimately. Um, but he was able to do that. So he has made people cry, uh, you know, after they read A People's History. Some uh, have become angered. He's inspired Antifa, the guy that was going to blow up, um, you know, the, the detention center in Tacoma, if you recall that, uh, oh, maybe about a month ago. Mm -hmm. uh, he, in his manifesto, said, read Howard Zinn. He was his hero. Yeah. We're going to continue our conversation, but I do need to take a quick break. Again, we are talking with uh, Mary Graybar. She's the author of Debunking Howard Zinn, Exposing the Fake History that Turned a Generation Against America, a very important book to deconstruct uh, what he has, uh, his influence, what he has written, and what the truth is. We'll be back. 
You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back 52 minutes after 4 o'clock. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Howard Zinn's A People's History of the United States has sold more than 2.5 million copies. It's pushed by Hollywood celebrities, defended by university professors who should know better, assigned in high school and college classrooms to teach students that American history is nothing more than a litany of oppression, slavery, and exploitation. His history is popular, but it's also massively wrong. Joining us uh, to talk about that and continuing our conversation is uh, scholar Mary Graybar, who uh, is the author of Debunking Howard Zinn, Exposing the Fake History That Turned a Generation Against America. Well, there certainly are influencers who have pushed this book and popularized it. But what significance uh, role has Zinn played in today's education system, his book as well as his system of education? Well, uh Teachers have adopted his uh, own teaching strategies, which involve not, you know, extensive reading and uh, writing papers and doing research, but, um, you know, going out and protesting and keeping journal entries and, uh, you know, not taking any tests. So uh, there has been the destruction of knowledge. But um, his book is being used, The People's History of the United States, is being used in colleges of education. And sometimes the teachers that, you know, are using that book are not getting any other version of American history. Uh, So that's what they get, and they pass it on down to their students. And uh, as you probably know, most of the uh, textbooks that are adopted are left-wing anyways. And uh, so they have this notion that Howard Zinn's version of history is true. And uh, so they pass that on to their students. And, you know, if you think about it, you know, people who read A People's History when it came out in the 80s, you know, they've had children. They may have grandchildren by now. And so they think that his version of history is the real one. They don't think there is anything wrong with it. Um, and uh, so, uh, you know, that is passed on through the generations. And so we're getting into the second generation of Zen's influence. Uh, teachers also can go to the Zen Education Project and download lessons uh, from the book. Uh, right now, there is a campaign to abolish Columbus Day. The Smithsonian, I wrote about this uh, yesterday, is sponsoring teach-ins for teachers um, and using Zinn's materials. And uh, they are learning how to lobby legislators to abolish Columbus Day. Um, it, you know, there are graphic books, you know, comic books, uh, you know, with Howard Zinn, um, he appears in uh, song lyrics. There, there's a play, uh, you know, it's going to be on Broadway about his life. Um, it, you know, they have uh, book festivals dedicated to him. Uh, Occupy Wall Street had a library in New York City, and uh, Howard Zinn's books were staples. Uh, Black Lives Matter, uh, they're influenced by Zinn, and now Antifa is influenced by Zinn. And I think we're really getting into some dangerous territory when we're talking about Antifa. So uh, it, 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 it's, you know, it's almost, it's difficult to measure, but uh, if you ask any, you know, the common person, they'll likely uh, say, yeah, I've heard of Zinn. Um, some people, you know, uh, saw Goodwill Hunting and were introduced to him. Mm-hmm. Teachers, professors are introducing students 
um, to him recommending him. Um, you know, I just heard of that a couple weeks ago. Uh, so it's it's not measured, but uh, by the book sales, by the adoption in the classroom, by the cultural references, Zen's influence we know is just growing exponentially. I think most people assume that once something is in print, if it's embraced by the academy, that the, there must be good scholarship. Yet even uh, those on either side of the ideological spectrum have acknowledged that Zen's scholarship is, is uh, poorly done. And it's hard to imagine how he has succeeded as well uh, as he has, particularly among academics. Is it because he is parroting what they want to hear? Uh, how is it that he has managed to resonate with so many, despite the fact that his scholarship is so poor? Um, I, yeah, I, I think you uh, pinpointed a large part of that. I, and this is uh, something that I go into in my book. Yes. Uh, but Michael, yeah, Michael Kazin, the, the uh, scholar I mentioned, you know, on the left, you know, was once a member of the Weather Underground and criticized uh, Zinn uh, when the book came out. But in 2010, it, uh, Mitch Daniels, when he was governor of Indiana, had emailed people uh, in education. He learned that Zinn's book was being used in an NEH, National Endowment for the Humanities, summer session for teachers to get continuing education, and he was outraged and expressed it in these emails. Well, these were revealed by an AP reporter in 2013, um, and by that time, Mitch Daniels was president of Purdue, and Michael Kazin and the other leftists who had criticized him now attacked Mitch Daniels. I mean, it's truly amazing, you know, how they went 180 degrees and, uh, you know, accused Mitch Daniels of ignorance and censorship and not understanding how history is written. Hmm. Um, so, so to, uh, you know, to attack Zinn, uh, is, uh, sacrilegious in, uh, leftist academia. Uh, you know, I, I've even gotten a couple, I got a couple pieces of hate mail before the book was out. <laughs> You know? <laughs> yeah, because you don't challenge the oracle of Zen. Um, I, it's important for us to understand his influence, to understand his writing. What do you hope to accomplish when people have a better uh, appreciation for how he has managed to work his way into our education system to influence generations? And are you hopeful that we can reverse course with a clear, um, accurate understanding of history? Um, yes. Well, my book is intended to be a tool, an expose. Um, up to now, I don't think that students who were fed this stuff or parents or the general public um, had something that would rebut what Howard Zinn is saying. So I try to lay it out. And so every time he makes a misstatement or he plagiarizes or he quotes out of context or just lies, I uh, come back and with other sources with my original research and expose that. So for students who may be facing a professor, you know, who loves Howard Zinn um, and his spouting his view of history, uh, they can have this book and go back and say, well, okay, this is what Howard Zinn says, and this is actually what the truth is, and they can go back and check all my footnotes. This is extensively footnoted, um, and they can have a tool, and maybe this will help us 
to, um, you know, bring down Zinn's reputation, uh, he, you know, and to expose his fraudulence as a scholar. He is not a legitimate historian or a scholar. He is a communist propagandist. I am so grateful for the book. I am grateful for the time that you've spent talking with us about it today, and I would highly recommend it to parents, to students, to anyone who wants to understand the course that the culture is taking, to understand some of our lawmakers and this uh, bent toward uh, Marxism. This is an excellent book to help us uh, not only understand, but to be able to respond effectively. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. You're welcome. It was my pleasure. Thank you. Again, Mary Graybar, author of Debunking Howard Zinn, Exposing the Fake History That Turned a Generation Against America. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, news and traffic, up next. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. Seven minutes after five o'clock is our time. Portions of our program today are brought to you by Liberty Coin and Currency. Now, if you don't listen to anything else that happens the rest of this hour, I want to encourage you to stick around because I had the opportunity earlier today to talk with Pastor Victor Alvarez. What a sweet man. He's a pastor. Uh, among other things. And we're going to talk about Conquest 2019. The theme is From Glory to Glory. That's on out of Second Corinthians 3.18. This is going to be the largest Christian multi-ethnic bilingual event in the Pacific Northwest. And we want you to come and be a part of it. That's Saturday, September 7th. There are some pre-events going on now, but it's going to be held at the Oregon Convention Center. You can register at conquest2019.org and uh, read more about it and all the uh, important Important details, but with as much strife that is going on in our community and the wringing of hands over uh, various issues, the lack of unity, this is an opportunity for the body of Christ to come together in unity uh, for a time of worship and prayer for good teaching and uh, and the like. There's also going to be an opportunity before the day is over to invite those who are outside of the convention center to join us inside. So uh, we'll talk with Pastor Alvarez here in just a few moments in our next segment. Um, again, Conquest 2019, September 7th. That's a Saturday. Um, coming up sooner than you think. Well, a sweep of vaping-related illnesses have affected teenagers across the nation in recent weeks. This prompting the Centers for Disease Control to launch a formal investigation. Health officials, meanwhile, in Wisconsin, in Minnesota, in Illinois, among other states, they're scrambling to determine what exactly is causing these severe pulmonary illnesses in young people who reported vaping prior to falling ill. In fact, there's one young man, where was he from? Um, Colorado, I think. Hospital, well, a Texas teen. Um, he's recovering from uh, spending eight or after spending 18 days in the hospital for a collapsed lung. Doctors believe it was caused by vaping. The patient identified as Tristan by the hospital uh, caused his doctor to lose a lot of sleep during his stay at Cook Children's Hospital in the ICU. Uh, they didn't quite know what was going on. Tristan was eight, 17, I should say, had landed in the hospital after complaining of fatigue, shortness of breath, chest pains. Within 48 hours and in intake, he was in ICU. Another state uh, may join a seemingly growing list of places where these, these kinds of illnesses have been reported, Colorado. Uh, we do not have a confirmed case in Colorado, though we are investigating a suspect. 
uh, suspected case. That's a, um, a quote from the chief medical officer for the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment. The patient involved in the suspected case, which if confirmed would mark Colorado's first, was not identified. Uh, there have been 153 possible cases of severe lung illness associated with e-cigarette product use, according to the CDC. The illnesses have been reported in 16 states beginning in uh, June of, um, of this year. No deaths have been reported at this time and no specific product has been identified identified or conclusively linked to illness, uh, the illnesses. The negative health effects associated with uh, cigarette and cigars um, have long been documented, leading to a decline in both among teens in the U.S. in recent years. But they have been told, and we've been led to believe, that vaping is much easier on the body. The same is not true for e-cigarettes. However, in 2018, nearly one in every 20 middle school student, about 4.9 percent, reported using electronic cigarettes in the past 30 days. That's an increase from less than 1% in 2011. The health issues, both short and long-term, we don't really know long-term, of e-cigarette use are not well understood, and the U.S. Food and Drug Administration doesn't require the manufacturers of e-cigarette devices to list all the ingredients that are in them. E-cigarettes are often touted as a safer alternative to cigarettes. A recent study found that may not be true. Again, they're not entirely sure. The study, led by the University of Pennsylvania, uh, claimed that there are damaging effects on a user's blood vessels after just one use. So... Make note of that. There are some respiratory problems that are being reported. Well, in a breakthrough for global advocacy of religious freedom, the United Nations this year established the 22nd of August. Today is the 22nd of August as the International Day commemorating the victims of acts of violence based on religion and belief. The U.N. A May 28th decision was a long overdue global recognition that violence against people based on their faith is a serious and growing problem. In support of its adoption, U.N. delegates cited the recent attacks against Muslims in New Zealand, Christians in Sri Lanka, Jews in San Diego, as well as ongoing crises involving the Rohingya in Myanmar and Yazidis and Christians in Iraq. And while we are blessed to enjoy higher levels of religious freedom here in the West, that same freedom isn't shared worldwide. In fact, roughly 80 percent of the world's population lives in countries with significant restrictions on religious freedom. Christians are bearing the brunt of these restrictions, according to an independent review for the United Kingdom's Foreign and Commonwealth Office and reports from Open Doors. An estimated 245 million Christians faced persecution in 2018. That's an increase of 30 million from the previous year. The U.N.'s recognition of persecution is important, but it's really not enough. Greater action is needed where possible. Unfortunately, the, the debate over the International Day Resolution put on full display the problems that allow religious persecution to persist. During debate, the United, the United States rather raised the plight of religious minorities in China, particularly the Uyghur Muslims and Christians, both of whom have faced increased persecution under President Xi Jinping. Reports show that up to one million or more Uyghurs have been used, have been held rather in large detention campuses um, in western China. Meanwhile, underground churches and early rain, a covenant church in Chengdu had faced new pressure with a senior pastor and multiple members being arrested in the past year. And as you might recall, those of you who've listened for uh, some time that I had the opportunity to travel to China to meet with members of the underground church, leaders from the church, and learn firsthand the challenges they faced then, and things are heating up again there now. Sam Brownback, the U.S. ambassador at large for religious freedom, had accused China of waging a war with faith 
And a coalition of 22 countries, mostly from Europe, recently called on China to close its detention camps. During the debate, however, China denied that it was sending the Uyghurs to detention camps, instead calling them vocational and educational training centers to combat extremism. China then attacked the U.S., noting that others in the U.N. had accused the U.S. of killing and oppressing Native Americans. Meanwhile, 37 other countries, including Russia, North Korea, Pakistan, they defended China as a human rights defender and its actions as necessary for combating terrorism. China wasn't the only country to deflect attention from the resolution's adoption. But again, it just simply makes it clear that more needs to be done. Um, uh, not just to establish an international day against religious persecution, uh, but the appointment of a special ambassador should be just the beginning of uh, greater action. Governments, civil society groups should use the day to raise awareness of religious persecution, to combat it, to press other countries, to reform their legal systems and social structures to reduce that kind of injustice. And nothing else, uh, nothing less will uh, honor the sacrifice of uh, the victims of religious persecution. So today being that International Day of Recognition. I wanted to talk, uh, and I don't have time now, but I'll return to it. An interesting article, you might want to look it up online in Christianity Today, about how screens are changing the way we read Scripture. I know um, that you can be very critical about reading the Bible from your phone or from a tablet, and somehow that's a a lesser um, way of, of studying God's Word. My interest is just as long as you're reading the Word, that's the best thing for all of us. But uh, it's interesting to consider how the Bible, as uh, as we uh, know it today, has evolved over time in terms of how it has been presented, uh, how those first letters were distributed among members of the early church, uh, how the um, the printing press made it possible for the, the written Word to be compiled in a book, and um, the just over time how the Word has been uh, um, digitized and made available to the people. So um, Christianity is a religion of the word. Christians are people of the book. And there's an interesting uh, article, Karen Swallow Pryor wrote it uh, in Christianity Today. Screens are changing the way we read the scriptures. I'll revisit it on another day, but you might want to check that out. All right, coming up, a conversation with Pastor Victor Alvarez, Conquest 2019, a dear brother in Christ. Uh, we're talking about Conquest 2019, From Glory to Glory, Second Corinthians 3.18, the largest Christian multi-ethnic bilingual event in the Pacific Northwest, coming Saturday, September 7th at the Oregon Convention Center. Stick around for more details with Pastor Alvarez. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I am so delighted to have with me in studio today, Victor Alvarez. And we're going to be talking about Conquest 2019. Now, Pastor Alvarez is is a senior pastor of Father's House International. It's headquartered right here in Portland. He's also the founder of Vision 5000. It's a vision to reach thousands from different cultures, fulfilling the Great Commission. He is a preacher, a church planter, a disciple maker, a writer, an evangelist. He has a heart for the people. He has a heart for God's Word. And along with his wife of 30 years this year, uh, they've traveled the world teaching and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ. God has given him a vision for this city, praise God, Amen. and Conquest 2019 is the fruit of that vision. Pastor Alvarez, thank you so much for joining us today. Georgie, and it's truly an honor and a pleasure to be here with you. Thank you so much for having me. 
you know, this is a very challenging season, not just here in our city, but all across the country. And there's a lot of uh, division. There's a lot of conflict going on. People have, find it difficult to sit down at a table together and have a civil conversation. There are questions about what the future should be. And so there's a lot of unrest in our city. Let's talk about the vision that God has given you to bring God's people together uh, so that he can accomplish something significant in the city. How did Conquest 2019 come to pass? Oh, my goodness. Well, uh, I agree with you 100%. One of the things that I, I like to say, Georgine, is that what is true in the spiritual, it's also true in the natural and the other way around. Mm-hmm. All of us that, that live here in Portland, we witnessed what happened over the weekend, which, by the way, uh, through you know everything that was uh, heard and seen, God was glorified because, uh, you know, as as everything was happening in downtown Portland, there was a group of people of, of different churches worshiping and praising the Lord. And what everybody thought was going to be something ugly, you know, something that was going to you know, c- come in and, and uh, produce um, crime and so on. It was, we believe, stopped by the power of God. Having said that, um, the Lord moved us up here in 1999. This November is going to be 20 years since uh, we were brought up here by the Lord. And we came up here because of our calling. You know, my wife and I, as you stated, we're going to be married 30 years. And uh, something that I, allow, I, I like to mention in regards to our uh, uh, relationship is that when I asked her to go out with me, I said, I'm not looking for a girlfriend. I'm looking for a wife. Because I was determined. I wanted somebody next to me that loved God mm-hmm. and wanted the same thing. Fast forward, here we are almost 30 years later. And uh, going back to your question, how did this come about? Uh, some of you will probably remember that last year we celebrated Portland 2018 at the Oregon Convention Center. And uh, my wife and I were led by the Lord together with our church to be a part of that. Not knowing that God was setting us up in a good sense of the word. Uh, and and, and um, that statement was said by one of the pastors with whom I shared the vision of conquest with. He's like, Victor, God was setting you up. Well, sure enough, on the second day of Portland 2018, I'm sitting there minding my own business, just in, you know, enjoying the whole ambiance, just re- submerging his presence. The Spirit of God begins to speak directly into my heart, Georgine. And aside from other things that he said, one of the things that, you know, that, that, that caused for conquest to be birthed was the question, are you really believing me hmm. for the vision that I have for this city? Okay, like I said, we've been here for 20 years, and together with a lot of people in our region, we have heard, we have prayed, we have fasted, we have stood in the gap, you know, a lot of prophetic words have been released, and we've been standing, believing, and waiting for the manifestation of that. And I believe that in the middle of everything that we see, that some can uh, say it's negative, the Bible says that where sin abounds, grace abounds even greater. And I believe that, you know, together with, with what has been happening within the church, in the region, in the city, you know, in the past few years, Conquest 2019 is just another piece that the Holy Spirit is using for this time to fulfill that word. You know, Portland is known around the country as the least churched uh, area in in the country. Uh, this is a place where there's a great deal of turmoil, and yet God has has uh, called His people together in order to 
release whatever it is he wants to do in our time in this place. And that's exciting to consider, but it's required a considerable amount of faith on your part that uh, under circumstances that some might say, well, this is not a good time or this isn't a good place uh, to move forward takes a significant amount of trust in what God has said. And, and Georgine, when it's all said and done, when it's all said and done and we see the glory of God, we see the multis and so on, people are going to ask, how did this happen? One word is going to describe it, faith. Faith. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, this morning we had another vision casting with a good group of leaders and pastors. And, um, you know, I told them, you know, for we all have an idea of what it takes to put something up like this, right? From finances to, you know, bringing the body together and so on. I, you know, I shared with the leaders, I said, you know, this is not something that we say for years to say, oh, now we have enough, let's do it, or enough uh, context and so on. No, when God said, are you really believing me? Mm-hmm. And I said, yes, that yes was done in faith, in faith. Now, one thing that, you know, I would like to repeat, and it's been all over the billboards, the trains and so on, and, and some, uh, uh, so all over social media, is the fact that this is, this is the biggest Christian, bilingual, multicultural event of 2019. So going back to your observation, being the less church and so on, not not only are we believing God that the you know the church is going to come together, but we're doing it bilingual, English and Spanish from the stage. And not only that, but we are believing God that that racial barriers are coming down within the church. Within the church, you know, we're inviting the blacks, the whites, the Russians, the, the Asians, the Hispanic, you the know, Indonesian, to Indonesian. <laughs> yes. That's right. Come together and, and under that glory, the cloud of glory, let the Holy Spirit bring down the racial barriers that exist. Let's not talk about the community. Let's talk about the church. church. Yeah. And that's one of the things that when, when God gave us this vision, and I said, yes, he gave me specific instructions, and I'll probably go into that in yeah, a little bit. Yeah, Well, we're talking about Conquest 2019. It's coming up on September 7th. That's a Saturday at the Oregon Convention Center. I want to challenge you to take a piece of paper and a pencil, maybe it's your calendar, maybe your phone, and mark the date down, September 7th. It's a day of worship. You have an opportunity uh, to uh, in, engage in uh, conference workshops. Uh, there's a time of prayer. There's an opportunity to go out into the community and minister to and invite others. Uh, into a time of prayer and worship um, and uh, a time of testimony. All of that is going to be taking place on Saturday, September 7th at the Oregon Convention Center. And we're inviting you to come. And if you're concerned about the division within our community, within the church, this is an opportunity to come together. It doesn't matter what your denomination is. It doesn't matter what your theological bent is. You are invited to come together on September 7th to the Oregon Convention Center. Now, um, you're certainly going to be presented, but there are others as well who will be speaking. Yes, there are. And and um, I, I just love, you know, when God is in, in putting things together, all we have to do is just, you know, believe and, and, and be obedient. And one of the things that I am so grateful to God for is that, you know, the moment we, we, we stepped out of the Oregon Convention Center a year ago, God began to connect me and put people in my heart. People that, you know, I had not never spoken to before huh. within our region, with the, you know, and, and the, the Holy Spirit would lead me literally and say, now, now call so-and-so. Now go with, and, and the doors just begin to open. So now we have a tremendous, tremendous team put together, which by the way, Georgina, I have to say this. One of the things that God spoke directly into my heart was the following. And, and I hope nobody gets offended with what I'm going to say because, you know, uh, 
but but I have to say, God said that whoever comes would not be attracted by 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 famous Christian artists. Hmm. Or famous speakers. Mm-hmm. No one would be, he specifically said, people would be attracted by my glory. Mm. We have tremendous, you have the lineup in front of you, men and, women of, men and women of God locally. And I know that whoever steps on that stage, God is going to use them in a powerful way. And one of the things that um, the, the, the the speakers are going to represent is the is the uh, the body of Christ. You know, we have... We have a Hispanic speaker, me, <laughs> of course. Uh, we have uh, 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 Pastor Lavelle Thomas. We have Oscar Serjati from Indonesia. Uh, we have my beautiful wife. Some of you have never heard my wife. You're going to hear her speak, and you're just going to fall in love with her. And, uh, uh, oh, yeah, we have Chris Overstreet, of course, from Compassion to Action. And we have Aaron, uh, Aaron Winter from Heart of Fire. Those are the, you know, some of the speakers. Uh, uh, together with them, we're also going to have other men and women of God who are going to par- participate. And you said something about being able to go out. Mm-hmm. One of the things that we're going to do during the day, Georgine, is that around 4.30 in the afternoon, we're going to dismiss the people from the Oregon Convention Center by in groups of 50. And we're going to go out and flood that that uh, uh, po- portion of, the, of, of Portland. And what we want is, you know, people to see us and ask what is going on and all we're asking people to say is come and see because in the evening in the evening we're gonna preach the gospel and we're gonna extend the invitation for new souls to the come to come to the uh to come to the knowledge of jesus christ as lord and savior We're going to continue our conversation. Again, we're talking with Pastor Victor Alvarez. He's a senior pastor of Father's House International, headquartered right here in Portland. Uh, We're talking about Conquest 2019. That's coming up September 7th. That's a Saturday. We'll give you more details when we return. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, and I am talking with Pastor Victor Alvarez. He's senior pastor of Father's House International Headquarters, uh, headquartered, I should say, here in the Portland area. He's also the founder of Vision 5000, and we're talking about Conquest 2019. That's coming up on September 7th at the Oregon Convention Center, and all are welcome. Yes. You'll have an opportunity to worship together, and there's something so beautiful about God's people coming together from various denominations, from various church backgrounds, in worship, and there's going to be plenty of opportunity for that. You'll have an opportunity to hear some great teaching. Uh, some local ministries will be featured. Uh, some time of prayer. In fact, there's several opportunities throughout the day for prayer, and I love that we have that opportunity to pray. For testimonies, um, uh, there's an evangelism march we mentioned earlier where you have an opportunity to, to reach out into our community and invite them in. Um, we're going to hear from Chris Overstreet, uh, George Ladu, he's the co-founder of the Identity Project, Lavelle Thomas, founding pastor of of um, Oasis to Praise International Ministries. Um, Oscar Serjati will be there. He's a pastor of uh, and general overseer of Portland City Blessing Church. Dr. Aaron Winter, president of Hearts of Fire International Ministries. Dr. Mark Strong, he's lead pastor at uh, Life Change Church, and many, many others. There's a tremendous choir that's been uh, working yes. for, for weeks now, putting together uh, music to lead in worship and to just, you know, to come together in Christ's name and see what he's going to do 
do in our city when we come to him as uh, Conquest 2019 invites us to do so. Now, the theme is uh, 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the spirit. This isn't an event that came, um, uh, came off in a day. This is something that has been a movement that's been happening for a very long period of time. Tell us about this theme oh, and how gosh. that reflects Conquest 2019. Oh, man. Ooh, as you say that, I feel the presence of the <laughs> Lord. Yeah, we're going from glory to glory, glory to glory. Now, uh, before I answer that question, mm-hmm. I would like to add uh, uh, something else that will be happening during the day. We are reaching out to our First Nation brothers, Mm. our Native Americans. And uh, as I was speaking to a a brother in Christ who has a direct connection with with them, he asked me, Pastor Victor, would you be interested in having the 120 drum worship Mm. band come? When he said that, I'm like, well, let me think about it. Yes. (laughs) I didn't have to think about it too much because... These are, you know, m- m- some of you have felt the have felt the burden for our First Nation brothers, mm-hmm. and we reached out to them, uh, and and that's already been confirmed. So during the day, there's going to be a specific time where we're just going to lift up the name of Jesus with our brother, just worshiping the Lord with 120 drums. If you can even imagine mm-hmm. that, me personally, I have never experienced it, but I, that's one of the things that. I am looking forward to. You know, what you're describing, I'll, I'll let you continue. Go ahead. What you're describing is what it's going to be like around the throne of heaven. That's where it. People from every nation. We will have a cultural background. We'll have a cultural identity, but we will be one in Christ. And those things will become less and less significant when it comes to fellowshipping together. So this is a thrilling opportunity. And as we mentioned uh, a moment ago, this is going to be the largest Christian, multi-ethnic, bilingual event in the Pacific Northwest. That That is, uh, uh, without a doubt, without a a doubt God has orchestrated and he has he's putting this together all we are doing like I said uh, a few minutes ago we are just obeying believing and obeying the Lord now you talked about second Corinthians 318 mm-hmm. we're going from glory to glory and, and it is so true what you said Georgie and as far as this is not just happening from uh, it's not something was birthed from one day to another in the spiritual realm a lot of us here uh, have been praying and have heard the voice of the Lord. We spoke a little bit uh, earlier, a little bit about, you know, what the Pacific Northwest looks like in the natural. And that's where the Spirit of God is moving in the supernatural realm to so that through His glory, things will begin to happen. And we, as the body of Christ, you know, uh, one of the things that the Lord said is that people will be attracted only by my glory. When we come and believe God for that, we will create an atmosphere. Okay, this is part very important. We will create an atmosphere where the glory of God will feel welcome. How do I compare this? Uh, If I was to go to anybody's house and I knock on the door, the person that lives there has the authority to either make me feel welcome or makes me, you know, make me feel like you have to leave already. Yeah, yeah. That is what you know. The, the authority of the Lord has given the body, the church, you know, in this region. We either welcome the glory or we say, you know what, thank you, but we don't want you. And 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 I know that the Spirit of God has been moving. So this is just another element that He is using to fulfill His ever His eternal purpose. For this region, 
And uh, Georgine, you've been around for a while also, you know, in this part of, uh, of the country. And you remember that it has been said about revival coming through the Pacific Northwest. Mm-hmm. Because when it's said and done, no man will take the credit, but That's it will right. be God himself in a place like this. It's no celebrity event. There's just one celebrity in the house, and that will be God himself revealing himself in significant ways among his people. Again, we're talking about Conquest 2019. And in fact, if you'd like to know more information to register and maybe volunteer, you can learn all you need to know at conquest2019.org. And uh, there you can find all the details. Again, we're talking about September 7th, 2019. The doors will open at 8 o'clock. This is a day-long event. This yes. is We're not playing here. This is a day-long event. Uh, there's going to be a final worship session at 10 o'clock p.m. And uh, again, this is God's people coming together, not around a big name, not around a, 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 a group, not around anything other than the Lord himself. And yes. uh, again, there's opportunity for tremendous worship. And again, I love it when God's people come together from various uh, backgrounds coming together for worship, various um, ethnic and cultural backgrounds. It's going to be bilingual. And, you know, we talk a lot about our desire to see this sort of thing happen in our community. Let's begin in the church. There you and go. Conquest 2019 is a great place uh, to start. Now, kind of walk us through the day a little bit. What should people expect at uh, Conquest? Yes, you you kind of described it. And it's so uh, funny. J- just this week, you know, we're driving along with my granddaughter. She's five years old. And she's in the back, and all of a sudden, she, oh, we, we drove in front of a billboard. That's what, how it happened. We drove in front of a billboard, and all of a sudden, as a matter of fact, if you go on Facebook to Conquest 2019, you'll be able to see this video that I'm talking about because we had to publish it. It was so cute and at the same time so powerful how she began to describe what Conquest is about. And at the end, she states this. Conquest is all about Jesus. Mm. A five-year-old just saying this. Out of the mouths of babes. Out of the (laughs) mouth of babes, truly. And I was telling the leaders this morning, if a five-year-old can get this, oh my goodness, come on. We who are older, we should be able to get it. Um, um, one of the things that I'm grateful for is the acceptance of the different pastors and leaders in hearing about the vision. And and one of them specifically said, Pastor, I don't need to pray about this. This mm. is about kingdom. This is about unity. And this is about souls. Hello, isn't that what we're called to do? Yeah. Walk in the kingdom, walk in the unity, and win souls for Christ. Okay, so yes, it will start at 8 o'clock in the morning. The doors will open at 8 o'clock. Around 8.30-ish, we will begin a corporate prayer with the different pastors and leaders that are there. At, uh, at 9 o'clock, you know, we're going to see about 10 to 12 men standing on the platform with shofars hmm. and just blowing the trumpet, assembling the body of Christ to come together. Right after that, we're going to go into a powerful, amazing time of worship. We have put together a Conquest 2019 worship band, different cultures, different churches. And my goodness, they have sent me some clips of, you know, their different rehearsals. And just from the rehearsals, you can perceive the the presence and the anointing of God all over it. And uh, as we as uh, we go through a time of worship, you know, we'll hear the first speaker. Before you know it, boom, they're going to be sharing the word of the Lord. After that, we're going to go into a segment with our First Nations. And also, uh, the mayor of Portland has confirmed to be there. So he's going to be there. And one of the things that we ask have asked is for him to acknowledge, you know, the unity and 
to let us pray for him. Mm-hmm. This is this is not political. Not political, yes. Nothing whatsoever. As a matter of fact, we're making sure that n- n- no, no politics is touched from the uh, from the state. But we do acknowledge the, the authority. So we want the opportunity to be able to pray for him. Late in the afternoon, as I stated earlier, we're going to be dismissed to go out and be a witness so that in the evening we can bring in new souls. We're going to reserve at least 500 seats for new people in the evening, new people in the evening. So they can come. They have an opportunity to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. We will make that altar call. We will pray for them. And we pray to God that by the end of the night, by nine-ish, man, we continue to just be in that uh, in that cloud of glory, just worshiping the name of Jesus. You can imagine how we're going to finish that night. Yeah, it's it's going to be extraordinary. <laughs> yes, it Again, is. Again, we're talking about Conquest 2019. That's September 7th at the Oregon Convention Center. You can find out more at the website, conquest2019.org. You can also register. If uh, you still need volunteers, can folks volunteer as well? Thank you so much, Georgine. Yes, please go to conquest2019.org, register we're, we're asking people to register for only $5, Georgie. That's it. And the only reason why we're doing this is because we're dealing with the Oregon Convention Center. Yeah. And once we max out, we max out. And we don't want nobody to be left out. Okay, so register. And then right after you do that, there's another tab for volunteers. We still do need people to volunteer, come in, you know, help us out. Not, not, not help us, but serve for two, three hours and then submerge yourself in everything yeah. that the Lord yeah. will be doing. All right. Well, Pastor, I am so grateful that you've taken the time to talk with us about this. I'll be reminding our listeners right up until the 7th of Thank September. You. And how can we pray for, for you and the team as we anticipate what's what's uh, going to happen on the 7th? Thank you so much for that. Please continue to pray for wisdom. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of wisdom required putting all of this together. Uh, continue to pray that God will touch the hearts of pastors and leaders. You know, there's still a lot out there that probably don't even know about yeah. this. The moment they hear it, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll connect. Pray for um, the vision, God's vision for Conquest 2019 to be fulfilled. We want to be very careful in not turning this into anything other than what God designed it to be. So those three things will be very grateful, right. uh, helpful. Okay. Thank you again, Pastor. So appreciate it. Thank you, Georgie. Again, Conquest 2019, you can go to the website, just add a .org, and you'll find all the important details. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back to wrap things up. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Uh, just so enjoyed uh, Victor Alvarez and his wife, Noki. I uh, hope you made note of the event coming up on the... September the 7th, Conquest 2019. Well, you might remember it was a little over a year ago, the whole world was glued to the nearly impossible rescue of 12 boys on a Thai soccer team and their uh, young coach They were trapped inside a, a cave in Thailand. You might recall that whole event and whether or not they could get them out and whether or not they'd have enough air to survive. Well, as the chances appeared to grow slim uh, with each report coming out of that area, there was a displaced teenager from one of the world's poorest Um, countries emerged as a hero. Well, by the 10th night, we were losing patience, hope, physical energy, and courage, this 15-year-old said. His name is uh, Adul uh, Adun Salmon. He recounted uh, to Compassion International his recollection of those events. He said, we could not do anything to help the situation. The only thing I could do was to pray. I prayed, Lord, I'm only a boy. You are almighty God. You are holy and you are powerful. Right now, I can't do anything. May you protect us. Come to help us. 
all 13. That was his prayer. And with joy, the world saw a British diver, a series of them who finally reached the group. Um, They shined a flashlight up and asked the members of the Wild Boar soccer team, how many are you? Uh, uh, And Adun, the only English speaker in the group, replied, 13. Well, he also, uh, the only Christian in the group and uh, was there. And uh, while the boys participated in public Buddhist ceremonies, he celebrated with a humble Thanksgiving service where he leads worship. He says that he was, um, uh, it was his faith in God that got him through those awful moments as their lives hung in the balance in the dark and the cold caves. He said, help came from God during the hardest time. I very intently prayed and God answered me with his help. It was me and God together facing that situation. And I am thankful to him for helping me get out of the cave. At the um, uh, age of eight, his parents, uh, they're from Myanmar in the region known as uh, uh, for drug trafficking and guerrilla warfare, sent him to the church hostel in northern Thailand to be with relatives who were the pastors of the church, uh, Pastor Go Shin and his wife. Uh, he would receive a better education and care through Compassion, Thailand's sponsorship program, so that's where they sent him. Well, before the 23rd of June of uh, 2018, life was simple for him. He went to school at 7 a.m. to 4 p.m. Then he headed to soccer practice from 6 to 7, and finally he would head back to the church hostel where he lives uh, for dinner, homework, quiet time before going to bed. It was a very laid-back life, he remembers. I had everything I needed, and daily life was nothing exciting. But since the dramatic rescue, he says he's added a few things to his daily routine, including showing up to events such as going to Middlebury College in May, where he was honored with the Global Citizens Award for his communication skills and compassion as he was able to interpret and help uh, aid in the rescue of his fellow soccer friends that last uh, year. In addition to English, he speaks four other languages, four other languages, Thai, Burmese, Mandarin, and Wa, a language spoken near the Myanmar and Chinese border. He received a full scholarship to a college prep boarding school in New York, chosen for his good character and work ethic. The Thai government granted him citizenship in time for the opportunity. I am glad, he says, with excitement gleaming in his eyes, this means starting a new life. Um, He is noted for excelling in all he does, from school to sports to church. He has this advice to other teens facing challenges. He says, I would say to be patient and confident in God. Pray and wait on God with hope. Compassion International asks for prayers for Adun and the boys for their continued mental and emotional healing for his parents as they prepare to say goodbye once again and for his continued education and walk with the Lord. Now, you might recall I mentioned earlier this week that when I traveled to Thailand, we met at the border, the Burmese border, um, with refugees who were there. They were not welcome in Thailand. And so this this um, young boy from Myanmar was not necessarily welcome in Thailand, but was granted citizenship as a result of uh, his efforts and now has been granted an opportunity to attend a school in New York. So this is really a much more remarkable story than most people uh, would recognize, but uh, wanted to just bring his story to your attention and sort of a follow-up a year after that very long and arduous effort to remove those boys from uh, the cave before all oxygen was gone. I also want to remind you that Hood to Coast, which is, of course, the largest road running race of its kind in Oregon, it now includes walkers as well, but it takes to the roads, the highways, the streets. That begins at 5 a.m. tomorrow well, tomorrow morning. The relay features 12,000 runners and walkers, as well as 3,000 volunteers along the route from Timberline Lodge to Seaside, continues all hours through Saturday evening. Officials are urging all drivers to use caution as the Hood to Coast relay puts runners on a road to um, at all hours, 
I should say roads at all hours uh, from early Friday morning to Saturday night. The nearly 200 mile route sometimes puts runners near busy auto travel lanes, especially U.S. 26 from Government Camp to Sandy, Oregon 212 uh, from U.S. 26 to Boring, U.S. 30 from St. John's to St. Helens, Oregon 47 along the Nehalem River, Oregon 202 Nehalem Highway and short sections of U.S. 101 near Seaside. Uh, some of the running takes place in the pitch black. There may not be uh, street lights uh, to help them along the way. So caution is urged for those routes that I mentioned and others. The relay goes through the night. So even in the wee hours, drivers ha- can encounter delays along some area roads, especially near exchange points where teams swap out runners for the next leg. The event website has a detailed interactive route map that shows both uh, specific roads used as well as checkpoints and exchange points. And this can be helpful for drivers who want to avoid delays and those who want to cheer on runners or just be more cautious when necessary. Weather for this year's relay should be just about perfect. Forecasters are looking at cool evenings, partly cloudy mornings, and mostly sunny afternoons for the entire span of the weekend. Runners are going to see... um Highs in the mid-70s in Portland, but cooler temperatures on Mount Hood and at the Oregon coast. And that's, of course, not uh, unexpected. So Hood to Coast taking place 5 a.m. It starts uh, on Friday morning. I want to thank James Blinn for producing today's program, Clark Hilton for engineering, and thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.